Welcome to DeFine, the podcast making the most important projects in crypto easy to understand and accessible to all. This week, we speak to Munir from Paraswap, the DeFi aggregator that unites liquidity of decentralized exchanges and enables users to make swaps. So Munir, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do at Paraswap, and how you got into crypto. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. I'm Munir, founder of Paraswap. I have a technical background, so I've been an engineer uh, most of the time of my career. I got into crypto uh, before the uh, ICO craze. Uh, I was mostly interested in tech, and but since 2017, I got all in. So I became uh, obsessed to a level that I left my job just to oh, wow. build something in crypto. I mean, I didn't even know uh, what I wanted to do. Yeah. I just wanted to know that I want to build a career and build something amazing on crypto. Yeah. So, uh, which led me to building Paraswap and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, amazing. That sounds like quite a quite a nice journey. The fact that you were just drawn by crypto generally. What yeah. was it specifically which made you think, okay, this is it. I need that that life change. Well, many things uh, that happened at the same time. Uh, I like the uh, ethos of crypto uh, in general, in a philosophical point of view, in an ethical point of view. Uh, so that's what attracted me more, uh, where I think that f- crypto is the future and is the right thing for humanity to adopt instead of fiat currencies, uh, also for having more freedom, for having more fairness, and I mean, in this world in general. But also crypto was very exciting. Like a lot of things were happening, a lot of innovation. People were in it for the right cause, not just for making money. I mean, at least people that's I was uh, surrounded with. So that was the thing that was the biggest motivation is like, we want to do something that's going to have a very big impact, not only on the short term, but or on the midterm, but in the long, long term, we see crypto is the future in the next uh, decades to, to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think many of our listeners can can totally agree with that alignment and, and empathize with your with your same journey. Probably a lot of them are going through the same experience. Some might be a bit newer to the crypto space, yeah. so might not know so much about Paraswap. If you were to describe it as if, let's say, you're at a dinner party with someone who doesn't know anything about crypto, how would you describe Paraswap? Yeah, well, the simplest way is to refer to airline ticket aggregators like an Expedia, Booking, and, and others, where if you want to book an airline ticket, you don't check every single airline company and compare it yourself. You would use like a Skyscanner or a Booking.com or a Kayak to give you the best deal. It can be just the cheapest price or it can be also in a better deal. Like you get Paris, New York through London and you get to get a train. Maybe you will get a free uh, hotel uh, during that night. So that's what Parasub do for crypto exchanges. So mm-hmm. for instance, you're buying ETH with USDT instead of going to Uniswap or Balancer. You may get a combination of two and that combination gives you a price that's better than the market. So that's the value proposition is you can get a deal that you won't find elsewhere. Yeah, amazing. I really like that example. In terms of just breaking that down a little bit, how does the splitting work? How does the aggregation work? Yeah, so it's fully decentralized, uh, which means that users are in control of their funds. Uh, that's very important for uh, decentralized DEX aggregation, where we address only decentralized exchanges. And that's the main difference between a Binance and a, and a Uniswap, where uh, Binance, you have to trust them in your funds. It's like a bank, literally. Mm-hmm. And once you put your funds on Binance, it's no longer yours. It belongs to Binance, and you have a claim on those funds. But if you use a, a decentralized exchange or an aggregator of decentralized exchanges, those are your funds, and those services are just software that provides a service to you. 
Yeah. So that's the way it works. We are uh, connected to decentralized exchanges. We have like a picture of their states or like their liquidity. We know exactly uh, what are the liquidity, what are the prices and so on. That help us run some complex algorithms in order to find the what we call the optimum route, which is uh, sell ETH to DAI, then sell it to USDT, then do XYZ in order to deliver a price that is better than the market or we call it like beats the market price. Wow, there's a lot going on there. I think as like a novel user, especially with, with the UX, you wouldn't really know that there's so much going on in the background. So that's, I mean, great to see. If you don't mind, I'd like to dig back a little bit also to the beginning of Paraswap. So why did you, how did you come up with this idea to aggregate the bunch of DEXs? What was the impetus to go down that path? Yeah, well, I was a user of decentralized exchanges. And at that time there was, yeah, you can say only one it used to be called Ether of Delta. The many people were using Ethereum Delta because it was a free market. Uh, you can find any token, literally, without expecting a big exchange to list it. So when people do ICOs in general, you will find liquidity on Ethereum Delta. But since they were the only ones on the market, their user experience wasn't great. It was way too slow. So there was a clear traction, but they, they were under-delivering to their users. So I thought that was a great opportunity. That's to, to build something that's better than Ethereum Delta. But also, uh, well, to me, uh, DEXs are aligned with crypto ethos because what's the point of uh, using crypto if you were to trust a bank that's called Coinbase or Binance or anything else? It's not really crypto, it's a hack because the infrastructure wasn't mature enough to use decentralized exchanges. But that was changing at that time, that was late 2018. So in my opinion, that's a great time. We have a clear market, we have uh, users, they are underserved, so let's build something better than Ethereum Delta. I started, wanted to build a better version of Ethereum Delta. Mm -hmm. and, but by that time, there were other DEXs that started emerging, Bancor, Kyber, Uniswap were barely launched. It was really, really small. And I thought, okay, each one of these guys, they have maximum 1 million in liquidity. So why don't we combine all of them and uh, deliver 5 million liquidity? Because the combination of all of them will create a great offer. So this is where I started thinking about building an aggregator. But I said, hey, uh, why don't we build something that's going to disrupt those big players? Uh, so something that's accessible to everyone. Like even if you don't know how crypto works, uh, you just had to hit a, push a button and make your exchange without having to think twice, which was a very, very naive approach because really people had to install a MetaMask, understand what's yeah. a private key. There was a lot of onboarding. Yeah. Uh, no matter how you simplify it, yeah, people still need some uh, education and it wasn't there. So launched that in summer, early summer 2019, uh, got a lot of excitement, but almost no usage, mm -hmm. which led me to pivot and build a product for the DeFi community, which was small, yes, but very engaged. And yeah, this led to building the Parasop as we know it today. Okay. I think one of the key things that ties into is what you said before, about crypto as an industry, anyone can take what someone has built already and create a Lego on top of it, mm -hmm. which I feel like you did with Paraswap. You innovated to provide greater liquidity to users, quicker execution, better execution, and in some ways you achieved it. And so what did your competitors do in that landscape? How did they react to you know, the development of Paraswap as a layer on top of them? Was this something they were happy with? Well, the underlying indexes are more, more of partners. And then, I mean, they're not competitors at all. They still have UIs, but it's more about building an infrastructure. Like even for us uh, in Paraswap, we are building a protocol and our UI is a way for distributing this tech 
to others. But we hope that this UI at some point will no longer be taking uh, a significant share of the volume. It's already a, a minority, like uh, more than 60% of our volumes are coming from the outside. But the hope is to be only infrastructure and letting others like MetaMask, Ledger, others be the uh, user-facing dApps. But there are other aggregators who are also competitors. And I think that's great because when we started, there were already uh, three actors. Two of them are no longer in the, in the space and they were not delivering also as good as they should be. So the experience was also very slow. Uh, prices were not very good. So that was also an opportunity to do better than what, what happens and which pushed also these guys to improve their products. And that's also the benefits of competition is one new actor came in and they tried to address a specific angle. They do a much better product, which leads others to do to improve. And it's a virtuous cycle, like everyone yeah. is improving. And if you look at aggregators three years ago, uh, it's nothing compared to what we have today in terms of sophistication and performance. It's, it was great having competitors, even for us, we are and we're still all, all the time being challenged on trying to innovate and improve on every single part of the product. Absolutely, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. This continuous innovation cycle, challenging one another to do better, yeah. new products, and at the end of the day, better service for, for all users. Exactly. And so you mentioned a few of the things that you focused on to get to be where you are today. You know, you mentioned UI, UX, the education of users, integration with partners, obviously the innovation as well to have this original idea. Could you tell us a bit more about the current development sort of philosophy of Paraswap? Where are you heading in the next two weeks, three weeks, one month? Yeah, so short term is all about improving the existing products and expansion through, uh, for instance, new blockchains. Like we cover six EVM chains and we still have requests for other chains. Like we just launched Arbitrum and everyone was like, how about optimism? And yeah. here at ETC, I met Martin from Gnosis Chain, like, hey, hey when are you launching <laughs> Gnosis Chain? And, and so on. So we want to be in like, the top 20 chains. That's what everyone is asking us for. We also recently launched a peer-to-peer -peer NFT trading protocol. And actually, we, uh, we did more than that. We just haven't announced it yet. Okay. It's a new protocol for doing limit orders and peer-to-peer -peer trading for NFTs and tokens or tokens and NFTs. So you can basically uh, nice. buy an NFT with any token and sell the NFT to any token. You can do OTC trading with NFTs and tokens. You can swap NFTs. You can also combine NFT and a token to buy another NFT. Wow. So various use cases mostly addressed to third parties, like say a marketplace yes. that can use this uh, protocol to uh, improve their product. For instance, uh, say you're an OpenSea and uh, a board ape listed in ETH, well, users can pay in DAI and uh, the seller will still receive ETH and the buyer will pay in whatever currency they have. And Paraswap as a protocol facilitates this uh, this whole transaction and make sure it is well executed. And well executed here, it means that nobody is overpaying the counterparty. So if you think about it on the traditional finance, when you pay with credit card, uh, your card is in dollars and you pay someone else in euro, like here in, in Paris right now, uh, there are what you call middlewares that allow this kind of conversion on the fly. So that's everyone will make the exchange at an optimal rate. So that's what we're doing. And that's yeah, yeah, the recent expansion to NFTs. Yeah, that's that's exciting. That's a whole new world. We had, uh, I think, a little bit of alpha there that the it is, yes. crew yeah. is getting to. Yeah, yeah that, yes. that sounds tremendously exciting. And so you guys also have your, your token, the yes. PSP. Could you tell us a bit about how you're 
thinking about that, what's the current structure, what's its use in the Paraswap ecosystem at the moment, and maybe how that ties into what you have planned for the future. Yeah, absolutely. So the long-term goal of PSP is to fully decentralize Paraswap. Right now is highly decentralized, uh, so no uh, custody of funds. Users are just getting access to, to a software that gives them all of the services we talked about. But we still run some of those parts of Paraswap, like those aggregation algorithms, uh, the backend system, and so on, So which creates a kind of a central point of failure for users that we don't want to. We are committed to building a fully decentralized platform. Uh, so empowering that with a token makes a lot of sense. Uh, in any decentralized network, not having a token is very hard to sustain. That's how, uh, as a community, we arrive as a technique or a strategy is to build native incentives in order to have a decentralized network. Well, we're not there yet. We're working on that. But meanwhile, uh, we are using the token to make Parasaf more efficient. So we're leveraging the incentive system in order to deliver better prices and higher performance service. Uh, by that, I mean uh, we have a uh, protocol called Parasaf Pool, which is a network of market makers. They are, you can see them as a DEX, and mm -hmm. they settle on smart contracts. So there is, in the eyes of the end user, there is no difference between a market maker or a Uniswap pool. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they offer a superior service compared to DEXs, like no slippage, no front running, no MEV, and all of that stuff. And now they are rewarded for lowering their prices. Mm -hmm. So the okay. more volume they generate, they are refunded in, in tokens, like uh, rewarded in tokens. Yeah. And it's based also on a staking system where stakers can vote between codes on market makers. And if they choose the right mar market maker, they are also going to split those rewards with those market makers. Right, I see. That's For a way the community can get involved within the incentive mechanism. Exactly, yeah. So it's a mix between uh, what you can see in DPoS models where you have validators and you have stakers who stake uh, on validators. And if they stake on the right validators, they're going to maximize their rewards. And also with what you call maker rebates model that you see in exchanges where market makers, they get a rebate on fees and they may get also what you call a negative rebates, like uh, what you can see in FTX, where they're not paying any fee, but they are getting paid in tokens if they overperform. So we started only with the first one. We choose to not add any fees on Parasaf pool, but we choose to add incentives in order to bring in more volume and become much, much more efficient and competitive compared to other places like decentralized exchanges. So that's the early use case for PSP that was in November. But then also uh, we expanded, like we have an insurance product called the safety module, similar to uh, the one you see in Aave and UIDX, mm -hmm. which means that token holders act as insurers. So they would stake on a pool, and that pool will be used in case there is a hack, for instance. And, and if there is a hack, the victims will be refunded on that with that pool. Yeah. So that's great. It's a great use case because if you think about the DAOs, they are here to make the protocol more solid and more resilient. And here, the DAO holders are getting rewarded for taking a risk, but also uh, it's a commitment that, that shows that the protocol is quite secure. So if you were to uh, to put, I don't know, 30K or 100K 
on a protocol and you are willing to lose it, it's likely that you don't think you're going to lose it because you are betting that this protocol is quite secure. So that was the second use case. And the last one we launched a few months ago is gas refund. It's a bit similar to what you see in some centralized exchanges like Binance, where stakers, they get a rebate on fees. In here, it's not our fees, those are gas fees. So if you stake the highest amount, you will get up to 100% refund right. on gas fees, So which also creates a high commitment from, from some users who would stake and expect to be refunded. So they are making like free transactions. Mm, mm, absolutely. So they get access to this whole ecosystem whilst being able to participate in it and are incentivized for it. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really clever design. And I think a lot of us are happy to be on this journey with you. I think our Defund listeners would also be really curious about what you're thinking in terms of six months, one year. What are the main challenges, not only unique to Paraswap, but the DeFi space as a whole that we need to be looking out for, solving for, maybe things there's already solutions to? Yeah, I feel like the DeFi ecosystem is maturing a lot at a very high speed. So we went from throwing uh, money left and right with very, very generous liquidity mining programs to maybe thinking more about sustainability. And we can see that happening more and more, either on accruing value to the, to the protocol in one way or the other, or owning its own liquidity. That wasn't a case at all a year, a year ago. Mm. Uh, it was all about let's launch a protocol and let's put, I don't know, 20% of the total supply as, a, as a, an incentive, uh, which unfortunately didn't didn't work as much as we wished it would. So I think that should be the next steps for, for DeFi in general to find sustainability. Uh, it doesn't matter if it will mean distributing uh, value to token holders, but if the protocol on itself is highly sustainable, I think this creates a whole new possibilities and builds also a solid foundation for those protocols so that they can compete with Web 2.0 organizations in the next few years. It yeah, doesn't have to happen now. Yeah. Ultimately why we're here, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's a, so that's quite powerful. So let's dive into one of them, I think, that we've, we've mentioned before, which is about this constant innovation mm-hmm. and being able to see what's coming next. So in, in the same way as, you know, back in 2018, 2017, when you saw the DEXs have split liquidity and you wanted to unite them, what is the opportunity today that Paraswap is looking at and developing for? Yeah, so now we're looking into uh, cross-chain, for instance, that's highly demanded. And especially that people are already using multiple chains and moving from one chain to the other manually. So mm-hmm. I would use Paraswap to sell my aid to die. And then I will move my die to Polygon and I will do XYZ. Yes. So how about uh, automating all of that? It's happening. We can see this on chain for at least making the swap and having the counterparty on the other chain, or maybe even having arbitrary operations that are encoded within the same action. For instance, I will sell my eight to die and I will deposit some of the die on Polygon and maybe I will split a part of it into ETH and DAI and deploy equity on a on uni v3 on, on Polygon. So those kind of cases we're looking at. I don't know if we need to do the whole thing or just be, build the basic foundation, which is uh, what we're trying to do, like build the native and very efficient primitive so that other protocols can also build on top on their specific use cases. For instance, you guys at StakeDAO, you build very interesting product for optimizing yield. You have Aave 
that is using Paraswap in order to also optimize the API or also repay what was borrowed with the collateral, what you call repay with collateral. So Paraswap is an aggregator. It allows people to go from point A to B, like token A to token B, no matter what's the nature of that token and no matter what the intention of the user. So it's a thin layer that anyone can use. And now the idea is to cover some of the cases that everyone is doing manually and try to bring automation. Yeah, that's, that's a really compelling use case. So at the moment we have, you know, a few bridging protocols that exist, but absolutely it's a very manual process to still go through it. Yeah. And do you see any sort of evolution in the rounds of voting and the bribes being able to quickly exit out of or enter into a position with governance power? Is that another use case Paraswap could be used for? Yeah. So with arbitrary calls, basically you can do the main action, which is swap and bridge and then do whatever you want so that's a this call data can be controlled by the protocol that integrates uh, our, our our api and it's very specific it's a case by case for instance you would say swap ETH to die then deposits uh, like die or like whatever token say sdt and then put the sdt on a locker then do xyz so we have done that, and we have done it also on the new limit orders protocol. That will we, the reason why we did it in the new limit orders, so that you can have some extra security checks. For instance, you say I'm selling that token for that token, but I want to make sure that whoever is making this operation, uh, I'm gonna check the price on chaining to make sure that we never sold below the market price. Even mm -hmm. though I'm selling say ETH for 1500 Dai today but maybe ETH will be worth 10,000 DAI. So I don't want to be 30% far away from the markets. That thing you can do, you can do right now, but you can have cases like this where you say, I'm issuing a limit order. I want to sell ETH to DAI or ETH to SDT. Once the SDT is acquired, I'm going to put it on a locker and do blah, 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 blah. That's, that's the, what this arbitrary call data is, is meant to, to do. That's tremendously exciting. I think there's a lot of a lot of alpha which can be yeah. <laughs> extracted from this from this podcast, and and I think also the the future services and the services today that Paraswap already offers. Yeah, we're we're also seeing a bit of a trend nowadays. People are producing stablecoins. So Aave recently launched Go. You have talks of other major protocols also diving into these type of use cases, and I was wondering how you're seeing that at Paraswap. How are you enabling your partnerships or how are you seeing products built on top of those services? Yeah, I think it's a very nice trend. I think we barely touched the surface on the innovation on stablecoins. We had also some bad experiments uh, that we all <laughs> don't know, in, know about. So we love to see those innovations. We love to see how liquidity is going to build on top so that we can enable new use cases. For instance, uh, I have a story recently where the moment I saw that the parity between euro and dollar was inverted, so I went immediately to an OTC trader and asked for uh, exchanging some of the dollars to euro, like buying the dip between codes. <laughs> and the deal wasn't great. So I was very surprised. I was like, hey, how come? I mean, one, one euro is not equal that in USD. And they were like, well, we have a liquidity problem. That's not for that amount you're trying to sell. Uh, we don't, we cannot match this parity or uh, for euro dollars. So I think, and I tr looked into curve the euro T with USDT. We weren't there for like large amounts. So I think that would be the challenge is having DeFi protocols with stable coins, building a decent liquidity so that even Wall Street can trade on, on DeFi, which is yeah. still the case if you trade like USDT and USDC. Yeah. But I think the hope is that 
we can pair more stable coins that are not necessarily only USDT, Euro, Yen, or anything else. So that's we will no longer need to go through those kind of OTC traders or uh, or like traditional exchanges. We may just go to DeFi and get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Enabling almost the Forex type of play to come exactly. into crypto native stablecoins. Yeah, well, there are like trillions of dollars being traded every single day on Forex. So I think there is a huge opportunity for DeFi to build something uh, scalable in that in the stablecoin industry. Absolutely. And just quickly touching back, what do you think it will do to the DeFi landscape? to have all of these new stablecoins? Well, I yeah, I hardly see way too many stablecoins because that creates also a lot of fragmentation in the space. So I can imagine in the future we may have, I don't know, four or five big stablecoins. And I hope that there will be not a USD stablecoins. But I think uh, I don't see everyone building its own stablecoin or every single protocol building its own stablecoin. I see the top ones or maybe very specialized guys or maybe baskets of stablecoins or derivatives of stablecoins that I, I think how the future would look like. Okay, yeah, that's very insightful. And as somewhat of an OG in the space, we, we have to ask, where are you seeing the next sort of three, four, five years, the major trends? How is DeFi going to change? Yeah, well, that's a billion-dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know because those things are moving super fast. Like nobody saw DeFi coming. Remember, in 2019, we were talking about DeFi. It was a niche, and the crypto in community in general wasn't paying that much attention. It happened to me with NFTs. I mean, I didn't see NFTs come in uh, the way the way they they were. So it's very hard to know what's going to happen even a year next year. Maybe we'll be talking about something we haven't, we have never imagined. But I think DeFi is here to stay for sure. It's those are concrete products delivering value are being used. And even now with the bear market, we see the orders of magnitudes of the volumes and TVL are still huge. Uh, Absolutely. Like they are, we are like 100x or 300x up from, mm -hmm. from the last bear markets. So I think uh, DeFi is not going to change. We are still going to have conversations about DeFi. Maybe another form of NFT that's that's maybe uh, adding more value. We needed that bubble to like build narratives around NFTs. So I think DeFi and NFTs are here to stay. But more than that, I don't know. I think also one very important part that very few, I uh, would say, people in the community are paying attention to is decentralization of the rest of the stack that is not smart contracts. Uh, we are still running UIs using traditional DNS and AWS. Uh, we're still running backends that are also running on AWS. And those are central points of failure. Aren't, they're not critical. I mean, they're not holding user funds and, and so on, but they are not unstoppable. That's the only problem. Like tomorrow, uh, if you're in China and the Chinese government doesn't like your DeFi protocol, they can shut down your UI. Uh, very easily, like uh, in a matter of hours. Uh, that I think is not sustainable, and I think this would change. Uh, we need to build new standards, and the good news is that it's already happening. With like Filecoin, uh, we are always had I IPFS, and now I think Filecoin are bringing some some solutions and product built on top of Filecoin, ENS obviously. So I hope that will be the future where we will decentralize this kind of infrastructure that we're not paying that much attention to. Yeah, whether I believe that will have a any kind of value, like in a, in a, in a financial sense, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that we need to decentralize those backend services that are some kind of central point of failures. Absolutely, some, some critical points there. 
And just a quick question about what we should be looking forward to in the most immediate future, some particular dates that we should watch out for new feature releases. Yeah, well, we're constantly doing announcements, especially for launching new chains. Uh, we announced the limit orders uh, very soon uh, with the new API that uh, allows that to happen. And we're present in many conferences, HCC, uh, since the beginning, meeting uh, folks in the industry. It's always fun Amazing. to be in these conferences, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much, Munir. It was a pleasure to have you. And thanks. we'll hopefully have you back again very soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was uh, fun being with you guys.